Hello, this is Fabricio from the flight deck. I know you're all expecting a smooth ride, but we have some news in the tower, and there's turbulence ahead. So go ahead, grab your favorite mold belt, strap in, remove all the BOSU balls from the floor, and prepare for a bumpy ride. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast. This is Paul. Dan is with us today. However, we have relegated him to soundboard duties only. So we've upgraded to my co-host today. Sarah is joining us again. Hello. And we have two guests today, uh, Dylan and Stephanie. I'm going to have you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your experience. Yes, thanks for having me again. Uh, This is my second podcast with you guys. Uh, My name is Dylan Moeller. Uh, I am a therapist at Spooner Physical Therapy. Um, I am two and a half to three years in right now, um, and yeah, I'm excited to kind of talk about my uh, my hardships, but also my successes in the first couple of years as a clinician. Hi there. My name's Stephanie, and I'm also a staff therapist with Spooner Physical Therapy. I've been here about two and a half years now, and I'm just excited to get to talk about what these past two years have really shown me and what I've gotten to learn entering into professional practice. So obviously everyone should have figured out exactly what we're talking about today based on our intro. But if not, you've been alluded to by Dylan and Stephanie. We're going to talk about that first year or two of practice. That's what we have two individuals who have been really successful, but have a chance to talk about some trials and tribulations they went through relatively recently in their careers. So the first question to either of you is going to be, coming out of school, what was the, the biggest challenge or the most unexpected thing that you had to overcome in your first year of practice? I think the biggest realization was the difference between a sprint and a marathon. Because when you're in school, we're talking nine to 10 months, there's an end in sight, deliverables, grades, you always had a time frame for what's to come next. And then you go into professional practice and maybe 62, probably not, (laughs) but there's really not this set plan of how you're supposed to do it. For some of us, that ended in a little bit of an identity crisis. You've been a student for 20 plus years, and now what? They're handing you patience. You're in charge of your own learning. You're in charge of your own development in this process. So really trying to figure out how to find a structure, how to find goals to work towards, and how to really drive your own development was my biggest realization, year one and two. Uh, Yes, ditto. Um, could not agree more with you. Um, but I do think the first probably year or two, I think, like you said, I think time management was huge for me trying to figure out, all right, I have all these patients and it's my obligation to treat them. And now I have nobody looking over me like a CI anymore. It's like, okay, this is my license now. How do I want to go about this? How do I want to treat? What is my philosophy? Um, also, do I have an assistant with me? What is the flow that I want? And that takes a while to figure out what flow you want, but also where do I want to go in my professional practice? How do I want to develop as a clinician? Um, And like Stephanie said, what are my goals? Um, And then do you want to build a practice within a practice or do you want to have a niche somehow? Or do you want to just be a generalist for the first couple of years and just figure out where where do I strive? Where, Where do I have successes? Where do I struggle? And then kind of go from there. So, Steph, I, you use the word own your own development, you know, own your own mentorship and your learning. Talk to me about that a little bit. Like, what does that look like and how did you go about trying to find your way on that path? Absolutely. So we're lucky, at least here at Spooner, that we are assigned a mentor. So that's really lucky. And I lucked out to have you, Paul, 
But a lot of places, you're kind of just free-flowing, trying to figure out who has similar interests to you, where do your passions align, and then kind of like Dylan mentioned, what are your holes and who's going to help you fill those? So something I found the most success with doing was creating a diagram of what I wanted my practice to look like. What percentage did I want to be in what populations? Specifically, I'm really passionate about pediatrics. I love hanging out with kids. And so I wanted a specific percent of my population to be kids under the age of 10. Well, when you're working in an outpatient orthopedic clinic, that's not really what's walking through the door. So it was developing networking relationships with my mentor, Paul, the other pediatric therapists in our company, as well as other specialty practitioners. Like I said, you need to find people who align with your passion. And so, if, for example, Sarah does women's health. Just because I'm not passionate about women's health, she at least could teach me how to develop my practice within a practice. And the bigger piece of all of that is owning it. No one's going to hold your hand in developing mentorship. Your mentors aren't going to schedule it for you. Your director is not going to schedule it for you. No one's going to be checking in to say, are you getting what you need right now? That's where that professional identity and your own intrinsic motivation to progress your skill set has to come from. And every successful therapist has to eventually get there. But right now, as a new grad, you have to figure it out. So that would be what I really strive to do, especially the first six months, was finding out who can I learn from and how do I get time on their busy schedules. I think Steph is kind of pointing to that. You really got to kind of take the reins. No one's going to do it for you. But part of it's not because your colleagues and your directors don't care. It's that they don't know where you want to go. And so that's where you really kind of have to set that map out. You can't articulate your goals and your desires. No one can help you get there in it. So really finding those people who will facilitate those conversations because it also doesn't mean you come out of school perfectly able to say exactly what you need. You need people to hold your hand to get you to that point, but you have to find those correct people. Uh, yes, once again, could not agree more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here just to listen to Stephanie, folks. <laughs> um, but I agree. You have to literally facilitate what you want and where you want to go, but surround yourself with like-minded people. Um, like Stephanie, I want to build a practice within my practice. I love treating athletes. I've now uh, fallen in love with treating CrossFit athletes in particular, but also my my uh, passion for baseball players as well. So where do I go? That's my biggest thing is where do I go? How do I find those athletes? How do I market? Um, is there anybody else within the company or colleagues that I know um, that are surrounded by those um, individuals? And so I talk to them. Own it. Be around it. Put your time in. It's not just going to fall on your lap and be like, oh, my gosh, I have – 80% of athletes, this has been amazing. I can do this by myself. No, um, that's just not that's not the realization. It's been two and a half, three years, and I'm finally starting to see um, some show for it within the clinic. Um, so I think I, I would like to gradually increase um, that percentage of athletes um, coming through the door. But again, being a generalist for your first couple of years and then being like, okay, I struggle with this, but I'm really good at this. Now, how do I get better? Do I try to do con ed? Um, or quality content, do I find mentorship? Um, and again, like Stephanie said as well, um, your director's not going to be, hey, here you go. Let's set up a, let's set up an hour time and talk about it once a month. It's more like own it, own your schedule. You have to do it yourself. Um, and nobody's going to lead you. Like they can lead you to water, but they're not going to make you to drink, drink it. So 
Um, again, just take ownership of your schedule and what you want uh, to build your professional practice. I think you also have to remember to look outside your own company. You can be lucky enough to work in an urban area with a company with 22 clinics, or you might be by yourself in the middle of northern Arizona, and the closest PT is 35 miles away. You have to seek resources, whether that is quality con ed, online or in person. Instagram now, you can find so many accounts posting quality content, and these individuals want to help you. You just have to find the right places to find it. I think there's a very big community when inside of our communities because it's kind of a small world physical therapy like for example in Arizona there's a Facebook group that's just the Arizona pelvic health practitioners and I know that we can use that whole group as a resource and we're all here for each other so it's not you know just within your four walls of your clinic every day it's knowing where your resources are everywhere and I think it's an important thing just to build on that really quickly There isn't as much competition as I think some people are afraid of out there. It is a small community, and we are all together. And some of our biggest frustrations, we talked about a lot before, is the lack of knowledge the general public has is what therapy can do for you. We are all, as licensed therapists, working together to improve. It only comes through good experiences. I always sometimes thought, like, oh, I'm going to a business professional. Like, I have to bring in patients and numbers, and I have to make money, and I have to get everyone to come to see me. Our owner talks all the time about how many people are out there that would benefit from therapy that don't get therapy. So I think you guys are so right. Don't be afraid to go to others that aren't in your business. We should all be helping each other to all make therapy accessible to every individual. So don't be afraid to ask questions. We are there as a resource always. And I think, like Stephanie said as well, going outside your resources. But if you see a classmate that's being really successful or a colleague or somebody you know personally – reach out to them. Oh my gosh, you're seeing all these athletes or you just started your own business and it's just with athletes or with you know pediatrics. Reach out to them. Can I shadow you? Who are you going to? Can I meet your practitioner or whatever it is or the doctor like or a surgeon? Like shadow surgeons as well too. That's a great way to market yourself. Um, whether it's a general orthopedist that just does shoulder, hips, knees, just anything or if it's like, oh, I just do Tommy John surgeries or whatever it may be. Um, but go out above and beyond do your own research, and I think that's where you'll find the success. But it, again, it'll take time. And I also just want to circle back. I mean, you both have talked a lot about owning the experience, and I don't want to just speak from the side that's been out long enough that I'm far removed from that, but I'm more now helping individuals get accustomed to the first year or two of practice. It's worth having a conversation about how do we want to work together. I always want to be there and available for you, but I know you're busy as well. I'm not afraid of someone saying what they need and how we can work together. Because I know I get a lot of young therapists that are afraid of, I don't want to bother you. You have a lot on your plate. I don't want to bother you. There's too much happening. Well, yes, I can't be there every step of the day for you. And no, I'm no, I'm not a CI as you might be used to, but I'm always there for you. I'm always there to support you. And if we find like, all right, we need to meet once a week to talk, or we need to have a email list going back and forth or a text chain or something to put questions down, then have a formal time together. That's perfectly fine. I just want people to feel comfortable. Ask your mentors around you, ask your therapists around you. We all want to help each other. So don't be afraid to promote yourself. You're not bothering someone. It is going to be for our best interest that you are doing a good job. So we are there for you. You're not going to annoy us by asking questions or promoting, hey, I need help with this. And oftentimes, too, as the person delivering the training piece, I don't know what you don't know. So it might be a discussion of how do we work together for how can I help you realize some of those things, but I don't want to just come at you 
with an hour of info that I'm not positive how beneficial it is to you. Your time is also valuable. You have a lot on your plate. You're learning probably a new system. You're learning how to perform in your professional career for the first time ever. You're taking on patients. You're getting emotionally drained. Your time is valuable as well. And I want to make sure it's to your best benefit the time that I'm spending with you. Now, not every mentor you're going to find talks like Paul. And one of the best things that you can do to kind of weed out who those good mentors are for you in those first couple years is who takes a personal investment in you, not only as a physical therapist, but as a human. They need to care about your mind, body, spirit. They need to care about your work-life balance. And if they're not reinvesting them that back into you, it's time to start, start searching for another mentor down the road. Well, and your mentors can change too as your needs change. And our needs are always going to be evolving, especially as we start realizing what our next path is. Um, on the topic of like mentorship, you know, I think we've probably kind of touched on more like formalized mentorship, but we know that not everyone's schedule always aligns. Is there any other like strategies or different types of interactions that you guys have utilized, especially maybe I don't know, in the last year when we had some different challenges with like a pandemic, just kind of some different strategies because mentorship doesn't always have to be like, hey, Dylan, I want you to teach me a joint mode for the, the back today. Like that's not always it, right? Yeah. No, I think the biggest thing, again, is uh, using your resources, whether it's in the company um, that you're in or reaching out, um, but finding a time, whether it's over Zoom or Microsoft Teams, especially with COVID going on over the last year. Uh, but I think my success was going in being super informal or I have a really tough patient case, I'm stuck or I need help with something. How can I develop this? What am I missing? And you kind of go through it and kind of go through the case. Um, they can kind of give you different touch points or did you think about this? Did you think about that? Um, just kind of a second opinion. Um, and I always say four eyes is better than none. Or if your mentor is actually in the same clinic as yourself to say, hey, could we co-treat together? That's a, I think that's a phenomenal way uh, to do mentorship than doing something formal over lunch. You guys are both tired. You need like an hour break real quick or you need to finish up documentation or just to shut it down with patients. It could be just a crazy day. You just need to shut it down. So anytime you could co-treat with that patient you're struggling with, have them get their their hands on them, but also see what you're feeling um, as well and just be like, all right, let's pick each other's brains and kind of go from here. What am I missing? What do you see? What do you feel? And then kind of talk through it. I think the biggest thing is the more you can socialize, the more you can talk through it, the better off we can treat our patients in front of us, which equals success. And then next thing you know, they talk to their family and friends. And it's like, all right, I saw you know Dylan and his mentor as well, and they were phenomenal. Dylan didn't know what was going on at first, and then they had a, they had a mentor, his mentor came in, and they talked it through. And after a couple sessions, I've been phenomenal. I, have, I don't need anything. To elaborate on like the co-treat part, because I know one of the things as like a new grad, sometimes we really struggle with confidence, getting that patient buy-in. And there's got to be this like self-doubt that you're like, oh, I could have someone co-treat with me, but will my patient think that I don't know what's going on? But do you, do you run into that or? No, I think if the more you can talk to the patient saying, hey, I'm going to bring my mentor in or I'm going to be my colleague in as well. And we're just going to kind of go over what I'm seeing and also what he or she sees or feels just to make sure that you are in the best hands possible, just to treat you appropriately um, and also not waste any visits, uh, but also be like, all right, where can we help you get to where you want to get? Whether it's returning to a sport or, hey, I just want to be able to walk again. I want to be able to go up and down stairs to get to my apartment. I can't do that right now. And for some reason, I'm struggling with that. So again, I think as a new grad coming in, you have to reach out yourself 
Because your mentor is not going to be like, oh, I'm str- you're struggling. Let me help you. They're not going to jump in. You have to ask for that. But the more you can talk to the patient and say, you're in good hands. We want to help you as much as we can. I think they're going to have buy-in immediately. Mentorship is such an important part of your first couple years in practice. You sometimes can get sucked down into a spiral of it, though. And are you using mentorship as an opportunity to hone in your skills and grow your clinical practice? Or are you using it as a confidence check? Kind of like Sarah mentioned, confidence is such a huge thing during those first two years of practice that it may actually become much easier to say, you know what, you just, I'll put you on Paul's schedule. He's a genius at vestibular. You'll get a great treatment and then we'll talk about it after. Well, you have a lot of skills coming out of school. Your mentors and your other clinicians who have been treating for longer periods of time might not remember those very specific weird special tests that you just reviewed in NeuroLab. They might not have just spent the past six months studying for the NPTE. Your baseline book knowledge can be very, very beneficial to these patients because we know research is always changing. And as you get out in the clinic, you realize you don't have as much access to that cutting edge research that's been produced. You may have just gone to CSM. You may have just presented at your student conclave. You have all these opportunities to bring that knowledge into the clinic. And maybe your mentor still wants to come in and co-treat. And now it's becoming showing them what the next step and the next set of research is showing us in clinical practice. Well, I love that. And you're so accurate. I feel like I'm just going to do the Dylan thing. I agree completely with what you just stated. Like, let's just keep doing that pattern. And it seems to be good to go here. Um, but I do want to ask a very direct question. You kind of, you kind of tackled a bit of this, but I think there might be a little more we can discuss. Something I hear a lot is, why should they see me? I'm less than a year out. Why should they see me versus my 10 year experience therapist next to me? We're the same price. We're the same copay. How do I bring that value? Steph, you kind of started talking that, talking about that, but how, how did you guys get comfortable with, you don't know everything yet, but you can still provide an excellent patient experience? Well, to be honest, I definitely lived on fake it till you make it for the first little while. <laughs> so good at that. And, just in the first year. Oh, yes. Just really lean into that. But more importantly, you don't just fake it till you make it. You bring that passion that you have for therapy and reinvigorate your clinic. When you have therapists who have been there 10, 12, 20 years, yes, they go to Con Ed courses and they bring in new interventions, but you can bring in a breath of fresh air. And maybe this patient's a long-term patient. Maybe they saw your CEO 20 years ago and they tell you this during your initial evaluation, your second day of work. That has happened. And you have to stop and take a little confidence check to recognize, yes, you got to see Tim Spooner 20 years ago, but you get to see me today. And I'm going to take these principles that I've learned. I'm going to take my manual skills, my evaluation skills, and I'm going to help you reach your functional outcomes that you want to achieve. So a lot of it seems to be an internal confidence boost for myself. It definitely felt that awful word of imposter syndrome for the first week or so. But you get into week two and people are coming back feeling better. You're getting good outcomes. They've already told their friends about you. You don't need imposter syndrome. You're doing it. This is your patient outcomes driving more people to help reach their goals. Yes. And when you come out of PT school, you have to have confidence in what you learned in your professors that taught you, I can do this. Whether you learned it from your CIs on rotations or your first week in the PT clinic and your first eval walks in, what are you going to do? Are you going to shrivel up? Or are you going to be like, no, I'm confident. I passed my board's exam. I am more than capable of treating this patient, whether they saw the CEO 20 years ago 
or they've never been to PT before. But also, what is your bed mannerisms like? Mannerisms like you are human. You are literally talking to another human being in front of you. So treat them like anybody else you would. Are they like just like a family member? You still need to connect with that patient. And I think even if you just connect, even if you not are not the most confident person in the world, if you can connect with that patient, they will come back. And then eventually, if you find that one or two things or one or two interventions that work, or there's one or two exercises that work, they'll come back. And it's like, okay, I do know what I'm talking about. I do know what I'm doing. I am feeling or seeing the right things. I do see the breakdown. Great. And all it takes is one successful story after another. And again, with your experience and your expertise and just being with the patient and meeting their needs, you're gonna that confidence is gonna build over time. I think it took me at least a year, a year and a half to be like, okay, I actually have somewhat of an idea of how to treat a low back eval. Yeah, a year, a year and a half. Yeah, I mean, my first 40 evals, 38 of them were low back. And I'm like, I'm either going to be really good at this or I'm going to be really bad still. So you have to learn from your mistakes, but that's where you grow and you grow significantly. Nobody's over like watching you. They're not just hovering over your shoulder. You figure it out yourself, find what works, but meet the patient where they need to be and just treat them. You are human and so are we. We all make mistakes, but you learn from it. Um, and I think that's the best way to grow confidence. Well, I think it's so it's so important that what you just said too, just treat like a family member, treat like another person. So often people are going through a medical system. They don't have a lot of time to get questions answered, to understand things. You have a lot of knowledge as you touched on. Even if no, you don't know every technique out there and every manual intervention that could exist, you can care. You can care from day one. Everyone's going to care from day one. Just getting that connection to the patient too. You're a resource. You can help them. You can educate them. You can help them through what's often a tough time for them. They said they're going to buy into what you're saying, but they're going to trust you. And you can help guide them, get them moving, get some things improved. Go to your resources. Find the answers to them. You can find it. But that that first step, day one, being kind, being compassionate, that can't be replaced. So I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. I think if you could just listen to the patient instead of like, you know, they'll go to a doctor and be like, oh, my shoulder hurts. In like five minutes, like, all right, great, go to PT. And they're like, I have no idea what's going on with my shoulder. So you just spending that hour or what, maybe it's an hour and a half. If you're a new grad, spend the extra time. Talk to your director or whoever it is that makes your schedule and say, I just want to spend extra time with my evals when I first start. And that's phenomenal. Do it. Listen to the patient. Get that buy-in. Educate them and just say, hey, we're a team. We're going to get through this together. And we're going to succeed together. But I just need to listen to what your concerns are, what you can and can't do. And let's try to figure out where and how we can get you to do what you want to do. If you can learn how to connect with patients like that early on, they're going to trust you quicker. And there's nothing more confidence boosting than patients that trust you and they express that to you. And that's all this is all about, right? Gaining that confidence. And so a lot of this, I wanted to come back and ask, it's all about that first year is it's uncomfortable, so how do you get comfortable being uncomfortable? I mean, I'm 10 years out almost, and I'm still like uncomfortable, but like I'm, I'm okay with it now. I think the best thing that I've started to learn, and I'm not great at it yet, is getting comfortable in your mistakes. You don't have all the answers. You're not expected to have all the answers. You're not going to fix it day one. We are coming from a school in which wrong answers are, quote, punished. You're expected to get 100%. You're expected to get A's. There's no A's in clinical practice. And if you are constantly living in fear of screwing up, you're never going to learn and advance your profession. So 
really building that confidence is building your own trust in yourself that when you make mistakes, you're going to rebound from them. You're going to learn from them. Do I wish I could go back to some of my evals from weeks one and two? Yes. Oh my goodness. I wish I could help them. But you know what? I still helped them. I still made a difference in their life. Could I have helped them more today? Probably. Can I help them more, even more in five years? Most definitely. But I still made a meaningful change in that patient's life. And that's what you have to take home each night. Sarah, I want to ask you, because you did, you know, you asked a great question there, but you also said you still have some questions of things. We've talked about this a lot, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, but expand upon now, 10 years out, how your mindset has changed with this, because it is a continued challenge for the entirety of your profession, in my opinion. Completely. Um, Well, I have to say my initial approach was if I was just, you know, making that connection with the patient and if they liked me and they thought I cared, which I did care, but, you know, they felt it and they knew it, they'd maybe give me like a couple more visits to figure (laughs) the situation out. (laughs) I'd have a little more wiggle room, right? And it's totally true. But I think... I think I've just come to the realization that at the end of the day, I treat what I see and what I can feel and what the patients are communicating their needs are. And that's what I can do. And I have tried to be very strategic in my continuing education. I collaborate with my colleagues because I know I don't know everything. And I just, I mean, I've, it finally got to the point where like, that's all okay. And you don't have to know the answer today. You can figure it out next week or at next visit. And I think that's kind of where my mindset shifted from needing to figure it all out to treating what I can see and feel and knowing where my resources are. And I wholeheartedly agree. I Again, I keep saying being comfortable, being uncomfortable, because I truly believe that if I had 10 people come in that all have right shoulder pain, they all have it from external impingement of the same structure, I guarantee you they all need to be treated differently. I think it's a physical impossibility to know in the first couple of visits what you're going to need to do with your patient. I've become more comfortable understanding, okay, if this, I respond in this way, or if it doesn't respond how I expect, I have three, four, five, six different routes to go down as before, I might have had one or two. And past that, I needed some help to get beyond what else there is. But I just, I've become comfortable knowing I've seen more, I've experienced more, but I recognize and appreciate I still don't know, and nor could I ever know everything for the patient. And it's okay. It's okay to work together with them, ask questions, and acknowledge that it's going to be different for everyone. I got to find what you need. The, the times I get scared is when people think that this, this, and this will make you better. It's like, how can you possibly guarantee that for the individual? I don't think that's how practice is ever going to work for you. I know. And like you said, I think you could have 10 patients that all have hip impingement or shoulder impingement, but they're all different. They could all come all in different. with different signs and symptoms. So you're like, all right, every individual that comes through me is completely different. Every plan of care is going to be individualized. It's going to be completely different. So again, we every time you ask a question in school, it was, it depends. It depends. Well, it really does depend. <laughs> I hate that answer and it drives me nuts, but it really does depend. Like, what do you want to get back to? What did you do prior to this? Like, where do you want to go? Um, what can you not do right now? So there's a lot that's going on that you really have to figure out. Um, and I think as you learn from your mistakes and as you learn from the success, oh, they responded really well to this and they didn't respond well to this. Great. The next time they come in, I'm going to try this as well. And like Paul said, you might have one or two avenues, but then after a couple of years, you might have six or seven or six or seven different tools. And you're like, I know if this doesn't work, I have something else lined up and I'm going to get this patient better no matter what. 
Dylan, we were talking a little bit before this, and I have a question for you. You know, we're talking about fear and comfort, and I really like some of your thoughts on continuing education, some of the things that you've done. Can you speak a little bit on that? Because I thought that was some valuable info that you had. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing for me is, again, another way for me to get buy-in, and I wanted to really try to, again, reach that athletic population. And with athletes, they want to buy in and they want to get it day one. They want to feel the improvement day one or the first minute off the table. They don't want to wait a week or two. So I think one of the biggest things I did was actually get uh, functional dry needling certified, uh, which I think just took my practice to another level. It helped me even with my anatomy as well, how things should move. But then once I educated the patient on what it does, how they can improve, how it can help with muscle dysfunction, and they can move and feel better, and the next thing you know, they're off their table, like, holy cow, I can lift my shoulder or I can lift my arm above shoulder height. Wow, this is phenomenal. It's like, great, now do some neural re-ed and train you. It's like... You literally get buy-in within the first couple minutes of just doing dry needling. And then I realized, okay, now I really want to get to biomechanics. So I was able to and lucky enough to go through the gift fellowship last year, which was phenomenal. That has changed my life um, and my professional development forever. Um, and so I think just breaking down segment by segment or joint by joint up the chain and down the chain, where is the breakdown and quality continue education for what you want to get into or, and to build your professional practice is huge. And I'm sure Stephanie's gone through so many different quality content courses than myself. But again, we're both successful and we're both very passionate about what we do and how we can help that individual in front of us. Absolutely. I think if you're taking Con Ed to take Con Ed and get hours, you're doing it for the wrong reason. If you're taking Con Ed because you are passionate about the topic and you can go apply that to the patient the very next day, you're going to get something out of it. You're right. Mine was not a gift fellowship. It was a torticollis, <laughs> toe walking, and a vestibular certification. But you know, Bingo. you have different passions. Yes. Yes. What I really like too, especially you spoke to some of the confidence you got with dry needling. So I think traditionally, even myself included, I thought not tools. You don't want tools first. Get the basis. Get the information, which you need. You can't just go tool, 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 but you are so right. Having things in your bag to help you get buy-in, to get patient response is extremely valuable. It's not just writing those things off as you may be recommending or hearing out there. Find a good happy pot compromise. Find what resonates with you and works with you. And you have a great rationale. You said, I want to work towards athletes. They need this and this. Here's my biomechanical thought. Here's my neurorehead thought. Here's my mobility thought. This is everything I need. Makes perfect sense. And I love to hear that. Yeah. And then once you go through a kind of course, Use it day one, or you will literally lose it. It's like I just went through. Yeah, I went through a full weekend course, and then you don't use it. It's like, man, what did I do a couple months ago? I have no idea what I learned. I can't use it at all. Pro tip: if you can go with a friend, then review it when you get back. Bingo. And then it'll keep it fresh. Or better yet, present it to your staff at a lunch meeting the following week. Oh, bingo. That's perfect. (laughs) All right. So we've talked about all the like kind of trials and tribulations in that transition time. But to give our listeners some hope, can you guys kind (laughs) of tell us like maybe an approximate time frame that you feel like it kind of took you to feel more comfortable with some of these things and work through some of these challenges? Um, I think now I've been out two and a half, three years. I think probably by the two year mark, I was like... Okay, I feel comfortable that no matter who you are or what diagnoses you may have from the doctor, whether it's right or not, I feel comfortable treating you, um, whether I think like, okay, it is a shoulder or a hip, but I feel comfortable treating you. Again, you're still human. I'm going to connect with you, but I feel comfortable. And it's not just like Stephanie said, an imposter. It's like, no, I do know what I'm doing. I feel comfortable in whatever joint mob I'm going to use or manual therapy technique 
or clinical reasoning or clinical judgment. I understand where I want to get to and I understand the steps to get you there, not just, oh, let's try this, let's try that. It's not like a, a trial and error. It's like, I know this works from just clinical expertise, but I think the two-year mark is probably where I felt 100% comfortable that I can treat anybody that comes in front of me. Now, don't lose hope. That doesn't mean you're treading water for two years. <laughs> I can tell you that for the first three months, it felt like only my nose was above water while treading water. But you get through it. It's going to wax and wane. You're going to have high points and you're going to have low points. The first six months are hard. They're supposed to be hard. It's okay. That's where finding those other things that really fill your cup. We've all heard you can't pour from an empty cup. And the first six months, you're going to feel empty. But if you can get through that and you can find some type of groove, some type of flow, then you figure out the clinical practice stuff and you get through the end of your first year and you start to almost feel like you got it. And then there'll be something that comes out of left field. All of you who are your last year in PT school, you haven't been in the clinic. Thank you, COVID. So this is going to be a whole other learning experience for you. So if you can make it to the six month part, if you can find people and build your network and build your community around you who lift you up. There is hope at light at the end of the tunnel, I promise. If I can add one more thing, I think once you can accept failure, I think you're only going to succeed from it and only learn from it, like Stephanie said earlier today. But, you know, get the basis down. Get your documentation down. You are going to struggle. You're going to be like, all right, I think I'm ahead. I'm ahead of the game. Boom. You're right behind the game. You're like, okay, where do I go now? So learn from it. Talk to people who have done it. A lot of experts like yourselves in here right now. But learn from them. See what worked for them. Find your groove. See what happens. And you're going to succeed. It's just going to take time. I love it. And thank you all for being here today. Some great advice. Some great thoughts. Like you all have said, there is hope. So remain hopeful. And again, find your answers. Find your happy ground. uh, And continue to work forward. And you're all going to become great therapists. So as always... Again, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or thoughts, please reach out to us at the Therapists in Motion at SpoonerPT.com and have an excellent evening, day, or night. And a special thank you to Stephanie and Dylan for being open and honest. It's not hard to talk about the discomfort early on. So thank Absolutely. you for giving real advice. Of course, Anytime. Thank you. Good luck. <laughs>